and it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's broadcast. Glad you could join us. Today, Pastor Elliot will help us to consider several important spiritual life lessons from Jonah chapter 4. And now, with more from God's Word, here's Pastor Robert Elliot. If there is such a thing as an age of accountability, it probably varies from child to child. I've told you before that my sister-in-law, best sister, speculates, wonders, could the age of accountability be when your child first gets concerned about not having clothes on? Longest time, children don't care to run around without clothes on. It doesn't bother them a bit, but then one day, all of a sudden, it bothers them. Adam and Eve, what is the first thing they did when they became accountable to God for sinning? They tried to cover themselves, their nakedness. I don't know. But I do know that God was pointing out to his pouty, suicidal prophet that it made no sense for the prophet to have compassion on a gourd plant that he didn't cause to grow and didn't sustain and didn't have a soul when it perished. Jonah had no right to have compassion on the gourd, but God had every right to have compassion on people with souls. And because God has compassion on people with souls, we must. We must love the lost. Some people are hard to love. We must love the lost. We must tell them about God's love and way of salvation. Quite the true story. Lessons for tonight, there are many from this chapter four. Anger can be viewed as an unyielded right. If you have a point, flashpoint of anger, it could be because it's representing a right that you haven't given back to Jesus. Number two, having an I problem, the letter capital I problem is so easy. It isn't all about me. We ought to say it isn't all about me. It's about the glory of God. Number three, a bad attitude is bound to lead to a bad solution. Jonah's festering anger and prejudice toward the Assyrians caused him to have the bad solution when God was showing himself merciful to them that I want to die. Our bad attitudes can also end up in bad solutions that we would suggest. Then number four, we can know right theology and live as though we don't agree with it. We can believe that if we pray about everything but worry about nothing, that God's peace will replace our anxiety. But then if we refuse to pray, we know what it says about anxiety and prayer, but if we refuse to pray, then we just become anxious. We can know right things about God, but we can live in a way that it doesn't agree with what we know. Fifth lesson, there's a difference between the head and the heart. That's that same idea. We can have the head knowledge that's accurate about our God, but if it doesn't get down to our heart and change how we feel and look at life and the choices we make, then we're not much further ahead than the person who has no head knowledge. Number six, anger usually reduces us to prayerlessness. When Jonah was going around the wall for one day's walk, 20 miles on the top of the wall, he could well have been praying. Scripture doesn't tell us, but he could well have been praying. But you can know when he went over here to see what would happen that he wasn't praying. He was just 
taking himself out of God's program to see what God would do. Anger can reduce us to prayerlessness, make us observers of God's plan instead of participants in God's plan. And when we reduce ourselves to being prayerless observers, we'll never know the joy or the blessing of being participants in God's plan. What a difference would it have made if Jonah walked the other two days around the wall giving the eight-word sermon and hadn't put himself outside the city to observe what God would do, pouting and wanting to die. What a difference it would have been when he could see Ninevites, former enemies, brutal people, repenting and changing and turning to the true and living God and wanting to live different. What a joy that would have been for him to be right in there doing what God had told him to do and seeing God move in people's lives. Lesson eight, watch what we think because as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. Pull the weed thoughts out of the garden of your mind. There's a thought that pops into your mind about an unforgiveness or about a, a critical spirit or about um, fear, prejudice, As those thoughts come into your mind, allow the Holy Spirit who identifies the thoughts that are not to be there, pull them out. Stop thinking about it. Replace those thoughts with thoughts that honor the Lord. Because as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. And a lot of Jonah's problem was he let weeds grow in his mind too long. Like I said in the lesson, lesson nine, flesh goes to extremes. I have every right to be angry, he said, to the point of death. What an extreme. Number 10, God created souls. God cares for souls, and we should too. What made Nineveh great to God was not its wall, not even the size of its population, but the people that made up that population, the souls 11th lesson, it would seem that there could be an age of accountability. Before a person knows their right from their left, before a person understands what good and evil is, there could be an age of accountability. God was concerned about the 120,000 young individuals in Nineveh who didn't know their right hand from their left. And maybe the most curious lesson of all, sometimes What isn't in Scripture is as important as what is. What is not mentioned at the end of this story? What Jonah did with this. Did Jonah repent? Scripture doesn't tell us. Did he ever get from being on the sideline angry about God's mercy and grace? Did he ever step back into the will of God to be used of God? I don't know. And why would it be, do you think, that we can't know if he repented or not? Could it be that we don't need to know if he repented or not? But could it be that we need to consider if we will repent or not? I think that's it. We don't need to know if he repented or not. But we need to assess if we're going to repent or not where repentance is necessary. Will you stand with me? Lord, we stand before you knowing that we are always before you. And we thank you that your concern for us is a loving concern. And that you have a plan for each of us that is 
a wonderful plan to bring honor and glory to your name and to bring fulfillment and satisfaction to each of us as we obey you. And Lord, we would desire that we would understand that we are your servants, that we give our rights freely up in being your servants. Forgive us, Lord, when we have held on to rights and therefore become angry when those rights have not been met. Lord, help us to never pull ourselves out of being a participant in your plan, to becoming somehow an observer of your plan, a critic of your plan, a person who's just waiting in the wings to see what you will do as an observer who is not praying. Lord, if we find ourselves in the bleachers tonight, may we repent and get back on the playing field with you. May we be about your business, praying as we go, going as we pray. Lord, if there are any in our hearts that we view as Assyrians, despicable, no good, awful people, forgive us. Melt our hearts. May we understand that because you love these souls, that we are to love them too. May we go to these, Lord, as we are able to show your love to these that we have a very, very hard time loving. Thank you that we can love them with your love in obedience, and it can be real. Lord, we would ask that when we see people this week, we won't judge them by their age or their race or their role in society or any other thing. But we would first understand that they are souls made in your image who will live forever in either heaven or hell. Lord, help us to love the lost such that we would open our mouths and tell them of your love and your cross and your salvation. May we have the joy that Jonah X'd himself out of. May we have the joy of seeing you marvelously save and transform and change difficult people because of your power and goodness. Lord, last we would pray that our focus would not be on whether or not Jonah repented when the story was told, because we can't know. But rather, may our focus be on whether we will repent moment to moment as you show us sin in our lives. Will we be humble? Will we be teachable? Will we be holy? Show me, Lord, areas of my life where I need repentance. And may that be all of our prayers. Lord, you're a great and awesome God in control of all things. And we pray that as we walk in life, that your sovereignty and presence would encourage us and help us to be the people you want us to be. For we ask this in Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake. And Jesus' people said, Amen. And now, today's ministry spotlight. Well, I'm very pleased this morning to have uh, Jan Sawyer with me in the radio studio. And Jan, I'm very grateful to know that the Lord used you and your late husband, Kenny, 
to start up the Care Kitchen, which Calvary Bible Church hosts. And I just had a couple of questions I'd like to ask you about this ministry. Uh, first of all, what is the Care Kitchen ministry? Well, the Care Kitchen ministry is a ministry that we feed the needy and also, you know, anybody who comes in off the street, you know, the food is there. And um, we've also uh, contacted some of the homes like Elizabeth Estates and Teen Challenge. And it's to, you know, give them a nice warm breakfast. And sometimes there we have enough that we're able to let them take them and it's most likely their lunch. That's beautiful. So it's the love of Christ in a very practical way. Fantastic. When did the Care Kitchen start? Well, our first Saturday was on March the 3rd, 1997. 1997. So that's 18 years, over just over 18 years. Yeah, we're into our 19th year now. That's a lot of pancakes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, when is the Care Kitchen offered? At what time of the month? Um, every third Saturday. Uh, we start serving at 8 o'clock, and we try and cut the close the doors at 9.30, but a lot of times we're not able to because the people that come in, and we try not to turn anybody away. I'm sure. So the third Saturday of the month, and again, the starting time is? 8 o'clock. 8 o'clock, 8 a.m. Wonderful. Now, uh, where does the food come from? Well, the food comes from the actual workers. And then we have people that want to help Care Kitchen, but they can't give their time. So we have people outside that supply us with eggs, some supply us with um, whatever they can. You know, um, we have a group that can't come. So they, they come and they set up sometimes for us and then they come back when we're finished and they they clean up the auditorium for us, so we only have basically the kitchen to worry with. That's great. That's a team effort. Um, what are typical things that people might be served for breakfast? Oh, they have a great menu. We have pancakes and eggs. We have sausage, and we have grits, and we have um, corned beef mm. that we can serve with the grits. Uh-huh. So, and at once a year at Christmas time, when it's a special day, we add a baked ham. You want lovely, <laughs> and we serve the ham with the with the regular menu. We just add a little bit of ham. That sounds great. I'm getting hungry just talking with you. Oh, about and this. we have coffee and tea, and yes. we offer um, apple and orange juice. Oh, lovely! And a roll with the breakfast. Wow! <laughs> if you go away hungry, it's your own fault. Yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. Generally speaking, who comes to the care kitchen? Who benefits from it? Um, we have some homes that come, like um, particularly Elizabeth Estate. We have a big group from them that comes. And we have um, Danny and Ingrid Knowles of Knowles Busing Service. Yes. They go, uh, Danny sends a bus up for them every that Saturday, and he brings them down, and they eat, and he gets them back to the home. You know, and then sometimes Teen Challenge turns up and a lot of walk-ins, you know, they see the sign we have out in the front and of course they come in and 
they get a good breakfast. Oh, that's great. So basically it's open to anyone who would appreciate a hot breakfast. Yes. And I've had some of my friends even say, that sounds so good. Could I come? Uh I said, well, you have to dress the part. (laughs) I'm sure that that, uh, the ministry has the hand of God on it all the years that it's been going. And as you think back, Jan, over those years, can you think of some examples of real answers to prayer? Yes, definitely. We have had, of course, Calvary Bible has their stove and fridge in there, but we've, it, it can handle all of it, you know. So we prayed about it and we put the word out, you know, not asking anybody in particular, but another stove turns up Hmm. and also I have a room that's allotted to me and all my supplies and I now have my own deep freeze in there Hmm. and I have my own Frigidaire in there so the Lord has been very good to us and they've all been donated that's beautiful he uh, owns the cattle on a thousand hills and often as we ask he provides beautifully beyond what we could ever imagine Um, Jan, um, why do concerned believers, I've heard as many as around 22 of you, why do concerned believers in Jesus offer this care kitchen? Well, a lot of times they can't serve him in any other particular way, Hmm. and they hear of this ministry, and we've had people just come, you know, and offer their services, and That's how I like it, because I feel that those people are really into it and they want to do it. So they come and offer their services. So it's it's from the heart. Yes, definitely. It's an inner drive put there by the Lord. Exactly. And that's, of course, the kind of uh, drive that that persists and continues on. And, And those people... I would say 99% of them are still with us. Amazing. You know, the going on, like you said, in the 19 year years that we've been going, those, I'd say 99% of them are still there with us because, like you say, it's an inner thing from the heart that the Lord puts there. Yes. That's a beautiful thing to see. Just in, in wrapping up our visit today, Jan, um, is there anything else that you would like to say to our uh, listeners this morning? Well, I, you know, I'm not one, as I explained to you before, I don't like to go out and beg people to come in. I like people, they know the ministry is there, and we can always use extra hands, Mm -hmm. you know. And I would like, if anybody knows of it, you know, to pray about it and see if the Lord leads them into the ministry and that's the way we've got so many that has stayed with us that's that's so true i appreciate you emphasizing that well it's been a delight to visit with you about the care kitchen ministry this morning and um why don't we pray just before we say goodbye thank you our mighty and loving lord we thank and praise you for the practical ways that you've given us opportunity to convey your love and your hope to people who have uh, need of a hot meal. We thank you for the years of people that have come and have 
eaten and been nourished, but also, Lord, have been encouraged that they're valuable and that they're precious to you and to us. And thank you for the fellowship and the conversations that have taken place over the care kitchen tables over all of these years. Lord, thank you for those who have come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior through this very practical ministry. Thank you, Lord, for giving Jan the strength and the focus that is required to head up these willing volunteers month by month. Lord, continue to supply out of your limitless resources in Christ for this care kitchen. And may you be honored and glorified in every meal that is served, every uh, Saturday that comes by. May you be honored and glorified, Lord. And may people find their place at the table of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords in eternity in heaven because of putting their faith in this wonderful Lord Jesus who motivates such loving service. These things we pray in his wonderful and good name together. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jan. And now today's personal God story. Today, in the continuation of his God story, Pastor Rob Elliott describes his family's slow but steady spiritual backslide from Jesus Christ being their true Lord and Master. God gave my mom and dad more children after Janet died. I had a sister born named Mary, and then I had a, another sister born named Ruth. And in due time, they too came to trust Jesus to be their personal Savior. And so our family was in fellowship with God through Christ and in fellowship with each other because we uh, all trusted the Lord to be our Savior. And things were going well. And then something happened. My um, mom and dad decided to buy a vacation property and uh, threw themselves into this vacation property. It was undeveloped. It was 33 acres of land, and they had a, a, a swimming pond dug by bulldozers, and they had a, a summer cottage or a summer home built from scratch and built a road into the property and different things. And uh, we all really threw ourselves into this piece of land and this cottage and lake and uh, at first we would um, go to church a good, a good bible believing church um, near this property and had a second church if you will we had a good bible believing church in toronto when we lived there and we found a good bible believing church in the country where we were cottaging and that was okay and then slowly there was some compromise that went on we started to only occasionally go to the good Bible-believing church when we were developing the cottage. And eventually, sad to say, we compromised so much we didn't even go to that Bible-believing church when we left the city. We just enjoyed the cottage and left God out, really. We didn't meet with other Christians when we were at the cottage on Sundays. We just did our own thing. And it's sad to say that compromise got even worse because eventually it got so bad that even when we weren't at the cottage in the country, when we were at home in the city, we gradually stopped going to a good Bible-believing church that we had known for years in the city. We just stopped showing up. And the drift away from the Lordship of Christ was gradual, but boy, was it ever real. And um, that was right around the time when we were so compromised when I entered junior high, grade seven. And... I knew I was saved. I, I, I was saved young, and I knew what, who Jesus was from the church and the Bible. And 
so I, I knew I was a Christian, but I met a young man in grade seven that was obvious to me. He knew nothing about Christ. He knew nothing about the church. He wasn't saved. So because I cared about him, I told him how to be saved. I told him about the gospel, that Jesus died for sin and arose. And if he would acknowledge he was a sinner and put his full faith in Jesus alone, he could be forgiven and he could be part of God's family and he could be new and he could be at peace with God. And and I told my friend about this. My friend's name was David. And David listened politely and he said, well, I'll think about it. I'll, I'll just wait and think about it. And so as my parents compromised with regard to Christ continued through grades seven, eight, nine, et cetera, my compromise about Jesus also grew worse in grades seven, eight, nine. And uh, so it got to the place that whereas I had considered myself different than David when I met him in grade seven, by the high school years, our lives look an awful lot alike. We were doing the same sin. Um, we were not paying attention to God. Although I was a Christian, he was not a Christian. Neither one of us paid attention to God. And um, by the 12th grade, we went through all high school together. And I never really raised the topic of Christ with David after grade seven. But um, in grade 12, uh, several of us wanted to go on a school break, holiday time to Hawaii. So we saved our money and a bunch of us went over to Hawaii during the midpoint of our grade 12 year, the last, second last year of high school. And um, in the world's estimation, we all had a blast in Hawaii. We partied and we um, just basically did what we thought was fun. And uh, our teacher chaperones basically turned the eye the other way. And uh, in the world's estimation, we all had a real party in Hawaii. And we all said, boy, we're going to go back to Hawaii. We all said that because, you know, we thought that's what we wanted to do. And we, so that was the plan. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship services are at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. in our sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684 Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a savior. Save.